In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Nicole Bigley, and you are listening to a listener series on a psychic story. Welcome to A Psychic Story. If this is your first episode, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. This is the seventh listener episode of the podcast where we share the stories you submitted. And because it's fall, my favorite season, and Halloween is later this month, we are focusing on spooky stories designed to get you in the spirit. But first, hi, Scott. Hey, Nicole. Glad to see you. Just got back from Lake Tahoe with my buddies. I think I mentioned this a couple of times. About six of us all started kindergarten. 60 years ago, last month, and uh, the last 15 years or so we've been getting together. So most of them are engineers, and we had some interesting conversations about the scientific evidence of angels and what it's like working with a psychic. So we're going to address that uh, in the next listener episode. So I think you'll get a kick out of that one. Anything else? You haven't been feeling well, so I'm glad that you're feeling better now today, at least. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, it was COVID, so I got it on the plane, I suppose. Um, I had it once before, and this is like, uh, you know, the same. You know, it doesn't knock me off my feet, but it knocks me into the couch (laughs) most of the time. So, uh, but yeah, getting better. How about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, well, so Jen and Jill from Common Mystics came to Ohio and we went looking for experiences and stories for their podcast, Common Mystics. And that was a lot of fun. And you will be able to hear, I believe, the episode with me as a guest on their podcast later this week. So be on the lookout for that. And that said, I am feeling so much better now that we are in the final editing stages of the book. (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit easier, I guess, than writing, but there's still a lot of work regarding the design and the layout and everything. But I just didn't realize how much time it consumed of my personal time because after I would have work and sessions, then it would be working on the book. So I'm just glad that that's kind of in that stage where we are in the official promotion portion of the book. So do you think we should share the official availability date with everyone? I think we can. I'm very confident we'll hit that date. So yeah, sure. All right. So I can hear everyone psychically saying, yes, please share. So we are skipping the pre-order phase. Scott and I decided we are going to go straight to availability that means you will be able to order Looking for Angels on Saturday, 11 
paperback, hardcover, audio, and ebook. Yeah, we're going to have the whole shebang. So if you don't like paperback and you want hardcover, we got you covered. If you want to hear our voices more, you can listen to us because we decided to record ourselves and not have a voice talent, which is great. And if you signed up to get my newsletter, then you'll also get alerts around that time too. So, But we also thought 1111 was going to be a little bit easier. One other kind of final thing before we get into the stories is that you know, for the first 30 days, so starting on 11.11 up until 12.11, you will get access to a virtual VIP event if you're interested in that. So purchase the book during those 30 days, you'll get that. And we were looking to have that VIP event after the holiday season because we know everyone's super busy around that time. Just something for everyone to look forward to in the new year or after the new year, I should say, but also a chance to have the book in your actual possession and either have read it in advance or at least have it so you can go through it when we're talking online. And I know this is where Scott was a little bit surprised that I created this, but I also started a Looking for Angels broadcast channel on Instagram. And if you're like me and and Scott was as well, what the heck is a broadcast channel? It's a feature that Instagram started. It's separate from threads. Threads was this competitive thing to Twitter. The broadcast channel is actually, uh, if you go on my profile, a psychic story and click on looking for angels that's further underneath and hit join, you're going to be able to view and see content. You can like it, but you're not going to be able to share it outside of that broadcast channel or comment and reply. So just wanted to let you know, I'm not really sure why they're doing it that way, unless that they're just trying to get more focused content and get people to use the app even more. So that's a little bit of an experiment, but so far people are really liking it. And then um, I think that's it from that perspective. Is there anything else book related you want to share or anything else? No, just very excited and um, really interested to hear the feedback from anyone who reads that and just gives other perspectives on our content. Exactly. So uh, one other thing, I kind of lied before we get into the spooky stories, I did want to welcome and say thank you to new patrons over on Patreon who joined the Psychic Club. Welcome Ashley Bassick, Emily Cohen, Sherry Harrisburg, and Petra Lambert. And congratulations to new contest winners, Lucy Brainer-Porter, Angela McSwain, and Sarah Allen. They received a free session with me for submitting reviews. If you haven't submitted a review of the podcast and would like a chance to win a free session, you can submit your review on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and others. You can also increase your chances by joining our Angel Broadcast channel over on Instagram or signing up for the newsletter. So that's basically a three-in-one if you want to consider it that way. So Scott, uh, what was your Halloween like for you growing up? Well, Halloween in general for me growing up was had very deep and profound meaning uh, to me because it all focused on candy. And the fact that you could just walk up to a house and people give you candy. When my older brother was telling me about this, I'm like, that's all. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to exchange a gift. They just, yeah, you have to wear a costume, but that's the way you got to do it. So um, we were always amazed that parents even allowed the holiday to exist. I mean, we had so much candy going on uh, in our house after that. So I always liked that. It was the best holiday in the world for me. And a little on the nerdy side, even when I was a kid, I was always intrigued by the whole mask thing. Like, why would people want to 
put a mask on and be something different than they are, a different person, just spooky thing. And then I remember thinking that people do wear masks, you know, outside of Halloween, like the way they talk to people. Some people talk one way to some groups and another way to other groups. So that was maybe my first entree into psychology back then. And certainly a shout out to, to Jung's archetypes about, you know, the masks we wear. But yeah, that was kind of my takeaways from there, all focusing on the candy. And they're still lingering a little bit of that today. You know, <laughs> I still like Halloween because of that. A favorite one of your candy that you get doing Halloween? Peanut M&Ms. Yeah. Gotta love those peanuts. It's my kryptonite. I can't stop it. And I feel like crap the next day. You know, one of my clients, my favorite clients is the National Peanut Board. They exist. And so, yeah, so we promote peanuts and peanut butter. But yeah, I would say Reese's Pieces were like my favorite. Those were like gold when you would get them in your bag, when people would have them. And you always try and justify it. Well, fruity this or fruity that. Like, well, it has fruit in it. It's got to be okay. <laughs> Well, I remember going out. So I moved around quite a bit as a kid and, you know, didn't necessarily have a lot of friends because I would have friends and then we would move and that sort of thing. But so Halloween ever would, it was always like that moment where no matter what, you were able to kind of join in the festivities and the fun. Plus it was fall, my favorite season. But I remember coming home, the first thing that my dad would make us do or make me do until my sister <laughs> was born was dump out all the candy and then he we would make piles of it. And then he would say, this is mine. I'm like, no, I did work. This is my candy. I'm going to give you some pieces, but you didn't get, you know, I worked hard knocking on doors for this. So that was always kind of a fun thing. I have one other thing I want to show you. I, I didn't put this in here because I want to surprise you. So last year, Zeus and Leo, two of my three dogs, Leo went as a devil and then Zeus went as a witch because they were out of the angel costumes for dogs. But guess what I got for Zeus? He has an angel halo for people that can't see the video. I'll post this later. And angel wings. Oh, my gosh. That's great. How cute is that? So what's your dog going to go as now? You're going to have to get an angel costume. Well, my dog definitely can't go as an angel. <laughs> She's a little more. Um... That's why Leo has the devil costume. Yeah, yeah. That's what she needs, actually, to be honest. That's what she needs. So <laughs> we have to look for that. <laughs> But we love her and she's great. She's just not an angel yet. She's trying. <laughs> she's an angel reformed. All right. Well, we got it. Angel in training. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. She needs to take your class. Okay. All right. Well, now we've, you know, we've bantered enough. So we're going to get into the stories. And I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who submitted their spooky stories to get us in the holiday spirit for Halloween. But Scott, why don't you start us off? Okay, so this voicemail message is from T.I., and she shares how babysitting in a haunted house helped her learn how to block entities. Hello, my name is T.I., and I live in Michigan. And I'm going to tell you about the first time that I realized I could block spirit from moving in towards me. Anyway, so I grew up in a house that was filled with spirit. I was about three months old when we moved there, and there were multiple spirits in that house. So as I was growing, I learned to recognize not only physical things like dogs and cats and people, but also things that were not physical that would come in and whisper in my ear or move close or move through the hall um, transparently. And so I just had this understanding of an identity with those things. 
So when I was a teenager, after we had moved out of that house, we moved out of a haunted house and into a house that was quite peaceful. But I never lost the ability to recognize when spirit was present. When something in spirit is nearby, my body reacts in a visceral way. It's almost as powerful a sense as the sense of smell, but it isn't a smell. It's just a feeling that I know that there is something non-physical nearby. So when I was a teenager, I babysat for a living. And not for a living, I was supported, of course, by my family. But one time I was asked to babysit for a new family that was friends of a relative for whom I babysat quite frequently. And this was in a town, a few towns over from where I lived. And the man picked me up and came and introduced himself to my folks because he was didn't know them, left phone numbers, etc. And then we drove about 20 minutes to their house and we turned off the main road onto a very windy, small road with big palatial homes that were distanced quite a bit, old homes in an older part of the suburbs of Chicago is where this happened. And he turned off of even that road and there were just lights at the end of the driveway and he had this long driveway. And at the end of the driveway in the headlights, I saw this big house illuminated and all of the windows were dark. The only lights was one light over the foyer, um, the, the porch with the entry door. So as soon as I saw it, I felt uneasy and it was just dark and there were no lights and I was in a strange place but I just pulled myself together and when the gentleman opened the car door I got out and the minute I stepped over the threshold all of my senses just were turned on and I knew there was something non-physical in that house and everything was dark it was there was light in the hallway and we went in the hallway and then we turned and had to go through the dark dining room and the colors were dark and the wood was dark and there was dark paneling and then we went through the pantry into the kitchen that was fully lit and a den that was fully lit but even there it felt like the light was being swallowed up dark walls bookcases it was very uncomfortable and that sense of darkness along with the very powerful sense that there was something in spirit there that recognized that I recognized it was there. I could tell that as well. So the mother, I was introduced to her and she told me that it was going to be an easy night, <laughs> famous last word, that their baby who was about a year and a half, a little boy was asleep at the top of the back stairs um, in the nursery and she was going to take me up these stairs to show me the baby and there was a door at the bottom of the stairs and they were it was a narrow staircase and then I noticed there was no light in the staircase it was an older home but the hallway upstairs was lit so I could see light from there and I went up these steep narrow stairs following the mom of this little boy and just felt like someone was right behind me and I looked a couple times to see if the dad was following us up but he wasn't there it was someone else who was right behind us when we got to the top of the stairs I realized that there was also a door at the top of the stairs and this really freaked me out 
um, who makes a staircase with a door at the bottom and the top and no light in that staircase. It just, it was just really creepy to me. So we peek in on this little baby who's sleeping in his crib and I noticed there's a rocking chair and a little changing table and, and she, you know, puts her finger to her lips and says, this is him and there's, here's where there's diapers if you need him, but he never wakes up. So don't worry, just leave the doors open in case he does, you could hear him. So we make our way back downstairs. They leave me the number of where they're going and they show me where snacks are and they take off. And I had brought my backpack, or there's actually a shoulder bag back in those days, with some books and schoolwork. But I thought, feeling so uneasy, that I would turn on the TV. The place was so quiet and so dark. And there was no TV in that den. And there were no lights on in the rest of the house. Now, this was the mid-70s, so everybody had televisions by then. And I thought maybe they had a TV room someplace, but there was no way. I was walking through that dark house to look for a TV room, so I looked for a radio, and there was no radio. And it was just the silence and the dark room and myself. Now, I lived in a family with a bunch of kids. There were 10 of us, and quiet was never part of my existence. I never had silence any part of my life, even the middle of the night. Things weren't fully silent, but this place was silent. So I pulled out my books, and I was doing some work on a project that I was working on. And I started humming to myself to just kind of fill the space when all of a sudden I heard this loud bang. And it startled me and I jumped up and I looked around and I didn't see anything. So I went to the bottom of the stairs where the door was open and I looked up and the door at the top of the stairs was closed. It had slammed closed. So I felt quite frightened. But the mom had said, keep the doors open so you can hear the baby. And it was such a loud bang that I thought it may have woken him anyway. So I very courageously made my way back up those steps, making sure that the bottom door was wide open. And when I got to the top, I was so afraid. I had this feeling that what if that door wouldn't open and then the bottom door would close and I'd be stuck in this trap. It was... It was it was very un, unnerving as a, as a young adolescent. But when I got to the top of the stairs, the door did open, thank goodness. And I went in and I checked the baby and I put my hand on his back and he was sleeping soundly. And so I'm like, okay, everything's good. So I tiptoed out. And when I got to the top of the stairs, I hadn't, didn't hear another bang or anything. But when I got to the top of the stairs, I looked down the stairs and the bottom door was now closed. So now I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do here. Here's a place where doors are closing on their own. And I know that there is something there. And I look down this long, dark hallway up at the, on the second floor. The baby's room was at the end of the hallway and there's doors and it was just so unnerving. But I thought, okay, this is going to be all right. I have to make sure that this door doesn't close again. So there was this long, heavy wool floor runner in the hall upstairs, and I pulled it and folded over a couple times and put it up against the open door so that the door could not just swing closed. It would run into the edge of that rug. It was about a couple inches high that I made it. And I thought, okay, at least this one will stay open. I'll make my way downstairs. So... I paid my way down those stairs very nervously. And again, when I reached the bottom of the stairs, I 
opened that door, terrified that there was going to be something on the other side. So I took a deep breath, turned to the handle, and quickly opened that door, and there was nothing there. My heart was beating out of my chest, and I thought, okay, this is crazy. How am I going to do this the rest of the night? I decided to go in the kitchen. I opened that door, went through the through the den, into the kitchen, and I found a bag of chips and a soda, and I popped that soda open, took a big drink, and had this loud burp, and then laughed because, you know, it was funny, and took the chips and crunched them so that it was loudly, and then um, I was heading back into the living room, I think, when I heard another bang, and I was like, oh, my God. When I came out of the kitchen, I walked into that den, and the door at the bottom of the stairs was again closed and I just I just stood there and I was like what am I gonna do you know because I felt like whatever it was was playing with me and was just getting me to go up and down the stairs and and trying to freak me out trying to get my attention and freak me out but I was so I just I didn't want to deal with it. It scared me at that time. I was a kid. I did not, you know, anyway. So I, I had a few prayers under my breath, being careful not to say prayers that reminded me of death. And I went to the door and once again, just took a deep breath, closed my eyes, opened that door and then opened my eyes. And the light was shining from the upstairs hall, and there was nobody in the stairwell. So I opened the door, and I pulled a big, heavy wooden chair and put it in front of the door so that the door was blocked. Now I had the upstairs door blocked with the rug, and I had the downstairs door blocked with the chair. And I listened at the bottom of the stairs to see if I could hear any sound from the baby, and I heard nothing. So I sat back down with chips and a soda and tried to focus on my project, but I just couldn't. I, I, it was so distracting. I was just so tense. I thought maybe I should call my mother, but, and I thought, what could she do? You know, she's 20 minutes away and what am I going to tell her? I'm scared because the doors keep closing. I think there's a ghost here. She would have just told me just tell it to go away. You know, that was what was always her advice. So anyway, I, I decided I was just going to bide my time and I had like two more hours before they would even be close to coming home. All I wanted to do was go sit out on the front porch and wait for them to get there, but I was not going to abandon that baby. So I sat back down and I was very paying close attention to everything around me when all of a sudden, again, there was another loud bang. I leapt to my feet and my heart was pounding out of my chest. And I was, I, I was, I, I was beside myself and I thought, what is banging clothes now? But I walked to the bottom of those stairs and the upstairs door that I had blocked with the rug is closed again. And I thought, oh, for the love of Pete, I, I am not going, I'm not doing this anymore. And then I heard like little whimpering sounds, like the baby was stirring. And I'm like, oh my God, what if this thing is tormenting this baby too? You know, it's just messing with not just me, but messing with the baby. So 
So I pulled in every ounce of courage that I had. I pulled myself up. I took a deep breath and up those stairs I went. And when I saw, when I opened that door, I was afraid that the rug was going to block it and not let it open. But it opened easily and that rug was back down the hall where it had originally been. Something had moved that rug back and the door was closed. So now the baby is stirring just a little bit and my mother always gave the advice, never wake a sleeping baby. So though I wanted to wake him up so that I'd have somebody to bounce around and talk to and another human being to interact with even if it was a baby, I just put my hand on his back and hummed softly until he fell back asleep. And then I decided that I could not keep doing this. So I sat down in the rocking chair. I was not going to go up and down, up and down again. I think what happened is I looked at the bottom of the stairs and that base, that downstairs door may have been closed again. I'm pretty sure that was it. And so I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going back down. And I pulled that rocking chair into the middle of the room, facing that open nursery door down that hallway. And I started rocking and I inhaled. And as I exhaled, I pushed my own energy out. And when I inhaled, it would come in a little, but I didn't let it come all the way in. I kept pushing it out stronger and stronger. And now I wasn't scared. I was kind of, I was determined. And I was a little bit angry that this thing was messing with not just me, but this baby. And this was my job. I was going to protect this baby. And I pushed my energy out to the edge of that door. And I held it there. And it was, it was exhausting. But I just kept that energy, that focus out so that nothing was coming in that room. And it could slam doors throughout the rest of the house all night if it wanted. But it was not coming in this room. And I had this determined sense and pushed it and held it there until I heard the downstairs door open and the mom's voice call up, hello. And I was like, and I could relax. And all of my muscles, my neck and my back were just tense from holding this tense energy there. And I got up out of the chair just as she was getting to the top of the stairs. And I put my finger to my lips and motioned for us to go downstairs. And when we got downstairs, I told her that the doors had been closing. I said, did the doors close on their own? And she didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, the doors kept closing. So I decided to just stay up in the nursery for the night. Um, instead of going back and forth all night. And she ended up paying me a bunch. And I asked the, I asked the father on the drive home if he had trouble with the doors. And he said, what, what do you mean? The doors, the doors were closing on their own. I told him. And I wanted to tell him, I think your house is haunted, but this was the seventies and you didn't say those kinds of things to people unless you were in my family, the same to family members. But when she called me, to babysit again, I made up a fib and I never went back to that place and I have no idea how that family lived in that place where the doors opened and closed but I for one was not going back and that was the first time that I realized I could control my own energy and create this protective bubble that can include not just myself but others with me so that was the beginning of a long journey of interacting with spirit. I hope you enjoyed the tale. Happy Halloween. 
Wow. Thank you so much, T.I. What a wonderful, spooky story. So what stands out to me, Scott, about this is that she describes, first of all, kind of her psychic ability, being able to pick up on energy of people primarily, but places and things, but also that energetic presence. And so she seemed to have that awareness through her own experiences in her haunted homes before this. But like you said, also how she explained to create this protective bubble real time. And it really is all about intention and how powerful we are. So what stood out to you? Well, the big thing for me, and she explains it so well, uh, and she's just a great storyteller. She was afraid during this whole thing. And she, I don't know what to do. I went and put the rug out. I put a chair out and things happened. And, uh, but she kept going, you know, and I used to tell my kids this, that a courageous person doesn't mean you're not afraid. <laughs> you just keep going. You know, that that's the thing. You see all these, you know, superheroes and they all seem like they got it made and they go in. But real courage is is still operating, still doing what you want to do while you're still afraid. And then the main reason for that was that she, it was all about the baby. You know, she said, I'm, I'm here for the baby. I have to protect the baby. And so otherwise she might have left. I mean, I think anyone else would probably leave if there was nothing else there. So she was really watching out for the baby and that motivated her to stay and to stretch herself or try things and um, ultimately find a way to block those entities out until the mother came home. Mm -hmm. And then the lesson for me is that for those of us who are, you know, expanding and asking to expand our sensitivities in the, you know, psychic and spiritual worlds, that we're going to see and hear things that are going to maybe rock our world a little bit. And for me, they have a little bit in the past, you know, recent past. And so, you know, the messages for me that she provides is to keep going and don't be, don't get shy and run away. Yeah. And it's an example too of when you were in those moments, like you said, with the baby, she didn't want to leave. And many of us probably, if we had not had that sense of responsibility, she obviously didn't have a car <laughs> getting there either. So she was kind of stuck in it. That forced her to be able to deal with the situation. But energetically, I keep going back to that, how she realized, all right, I'm stating my intention. I'm holding my ground and I'm divinely protected. And that allowed her to teach her essentially real time how to work through that. All right. This voicemail is from Stephanie and she shares a story about how a sister or a soul who had passed away contacted the living in order to help her dead brother. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I live in central Illinois. There's a lot to this um, story, but I'll try to make it as quickly as possible. I bought a home that was built in the 1940s and never had any experience or anything weird go on in the home when I bought it in 2019. In 2020, I started to really open up and develop my intuitive and psychic ability. I really got into crystals and oracle cards and things like that. My daughter, who is eight, was at her father's house one night, and I she sleeps with me typically up in my bedroom on the second floor, but the bathroom's the first floor. I have to wake up in the middle of the night around three or four to go to the bathroom, and I went to the bathroom, and I came up the stairs, and I felt the energy just shift. It was very weird, and I'm walking towards my bed, and I hear a thud. Something was thrown. And I lay down and I, I just said a prayer to myself. 
to Archangel Michael in my head, please Archangel Michael, I just, I ask for protection, I don't want to deal with this. Right when I ended the prayer, I hear a huge thud, a knock on the wall, so loud that one of my French Bulldogs, I have two, jumped up from bed, and it was so loud that it was over the big fan that I sleep with and the brown noise machine that I have on my phone going on at night. So when I woke up in the morning, I turned on the light, and a candle, I have a candle abra on the table, it was the very furthest one back, had been thrown about, I don't know, two and a half feet um, on the ground. And I was like, that's weird. And so I knew something wanted my attention. An elderly neighbor that lived next door to me and has lived in their home for 50 years. And I said, hey, neighbor, uh, did anyone die in the house? And she's like, yes, Katie did. She had this genetic disorder. The whole family died of it. But after she was the first one to die, she was the one who lit the candle in the closet and set the house on fire. And so I was on a mission. I knew she had something to tell me, wanted me to figure out. There's much more to the story, things that occurred, weird interactions. I ended up finding out what her name was. And I found her gravestone. I went to the cemetery where her gravestone was, her brothers, and her mom. Her mom was the second one to die and then left the brother. The brother's death date was never engraved on the tombstone. And I reached out to some family, never heard anything. And so my sister and I ended up paying to get his death date. Again, there's more to the story and some very strange interactions that kind of led me to that. But that was one of the most profound experiences that I had with, you know, spirit and wanting to get a message um, sent to me. So that was my spooky story that I'd like to share with you. Thank you, Stephanie, for sharing. With this one, I love how she tries to get to the bottom of her experience. So she wasn't really afraid as much as she was curious. And encounters aren't always scary when you know that sometimes these ghosts or the energy and energetic beings are just trying to get our attention. Sometimes they want our attention just to be like, hey, here we are, pay attention to us. And sometimes there's a much larger meaning or or purpose. And it reminds me of the t-shirts, and this is just, I'm going to plug this a little bit, but I do have merchandise. (laughs) I have these t-shirts and sweatshirts on my website, but it says ghosts were people too. So it's just a reminder that if we are in these moments of spooky or scary and we're not understanding, just reminding us that these are souls who have crossed over and they were once people too. And also, I know this sounds obvious, but knocks on walls, and this happened for her after the fact when she was kind of asking the question or had that question in her mind, are usually spirit's way of trying to get your attention. And then overall, that connection of the candle and the fire related to it just was, a, I think, a thread through to allow her to that breadcrumb, so to speak, of finding out why that spirit was trying to get her attention. And also, I just want to say thanks, Stephanie. What a beautiful gift that not only did you find out what the situation was and what it was about, but also that you went to the extra effort to put that date and name on the gravestone. Yeah. And for me, what blew my mind with this story is that, you know, normally... You hear stories of, you know, ghosts and hauntings and the ghosts like, you know, bump into things, make things happen, move things around. Maybe they're angry, maybe they're not, but they're doing rudimentary things, maybe to scare, maybe, you know, just to make themselves known. But 
this person, Katie, I guess was the sister, she had, for lack of better words, the presence of mind you know, to first get Stephanie's attention and then was banking on the fact that she would do the research and go to the grave sites. You know, to me, that's like a whole nother level. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And why, why didn't she just write something in a mirror or something to tell Stephanie, go to my brother's website or grave site and up, update the thing? You know, why didn't she say that or just say it? But obviously it's a world that uh, we don't know the rules and the boundaries. But that was the one thing that stuck out. Yeah, for sure. It also reminds me of that show with Jennifer Love Hewitt, The Ghost Whisperer, where it starts out really scary, a lot of those experiences that she has, but then she takes it a step further to understand why those spirits or ghosts were trying to communicate with her, and there was always something. And like you said, it is more about we don't know what they can do. And maybe at that time that Katie just had the energy that was able to get that attention. And it was important enough for her, obviously, to share it and to do that. And, you know, anyway, just a beautiful reminder that we don't all have to take it to the next level. But when we do, how powerful that probably is for souls who have crossed. All right, so for those who submitted spooky emails, Scott and I are going to read a couple, and I'm going to take the first one from Shay R. Subject, a spooky tale all the way from down under, Australia. This is still the spookiest thing that has happened to my husband and me and has remained our favorite supernatural story to date. I hope you enjoy it. It was like any other day. My husband and I went to a large shopping center or mall and shopped all day long. We traveled home and went to bed early as we were both really worn out from our day. Unusual dreams and occurrences are quite normal for me, but the dream I would have this night was absolutely chilling. In my dream, I was laying in my bed when a man came through the door of our room and told me to get out. It was his house now. I asked who he was and he replied with, this is my house now, you need to leave. He then explained that he had followed my husband and me home from the shopping center, which he then showed me in my dream how he found us and started following us around. He had a very distinct look. He was middle-aged of African or Middle Eastern descent and was completely bald. I then proceeded to yell, saying he needed to get out. It was my house and he was not welcome. I then woke up terrified and feeling like there was a presence in my room. I asked my guides and angels in desperation to get him to leave, then got up and turned on my wardrobe light, too scared to fall back asleep. The next morning, my husband asked if I had turned the wardrobe light on in the night, which I replied, yes, I had the most terrifying nightmare, and it took me ages to fall back to sleep. He said, okay, I'm relieved it was you because I had a really scary nightmare too, and when I woke up, the light was on, and it freaked me out. I said, that's really strange that we both had nightmares on the same night. What was yours about? My husband then explained that in his dream, there was a man in our room and he was telling my husband that we needed to leave because it was his house now. The man even tried to climb into our bed. My husband said he was frantic, yelling at the man to get out and trying to kick him. The man out of nowhere seemingly gave up and just walked out of the room. I had goosebumps and felt unwell. I asked, what did the man look like? My husband said he looked middle-aged and ethnic. Oh, and he was bald. We both dreamt of the exact same man telling both of us to get out of his house. I still don't know who this man was or why he followed us home, but I firmly believe my guides and angels came to our aid in my husband's dream and escorted him out of our house. So thank you, spirit team. Thank you for reading this. I love everything you do. Kindest regards from Austin, Shay Rashton. So what'd you think, Scott? Well, I love stories like this 
for one main reason is that when two people share the same experience, I mean, to me, that brings it to a whole another level of credibility. Um, you know, and it's with spirits or ghosts, with aliens, with anything like that, because anyone, you know, if they say, oh, I just had this wonderful experience and it was this and that, and then skeptics could say, well, you know, it could be a hallucination, it could be a psychosis, it could be something going on with your brain or whatever. But when two people share it, then that rules that out. You know, it's like, okay, you have another individual confirming, in a sense, the one. So that's what I liked about that. And, and obviously, you know, how it happened, I mean, who knows? You know, they have, they two have the same dream is pretty amazing. So no one knows how that works, but, you know, it just says that it's something real about it. Yeah. And it was also a reminder to me that when we go out and about, I mean, most people think about, well, if you go to haunted places or you're looking for ghosts or situations, then yes, they can follow you home type of thing. But we also go about our daily lives. I mean, they were just in a shopping mall and all of a sudden they both had this dream. And that's not to put people in fear and think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to leave my house because what if these things happen? But for whatever reason of why it was connected, she clearly, both either her and her husband, had some sort of light around them that it was drawn to, this, this spirit or this presence. And when it went home and then had this dream, I don't know about the house and why he thought it was their house other than maybe he was just trying to claim space or something. But also the cool part about it was that she called on her spirit team and her guides and angels, and they were both, again, divinely protected, and that this energy or this presence was kicked out. So again, it just goes back to show you're going to encounter all kinds of things. It's just as what happens in life and being a spiritual being here. But at the end of the day, we are always guided and protected. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what popped through to me was that he said, it's my house now. Like, well, it wasn't before. It wasn't like you're in my house. I think he followed them home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Especially as he showed her in the dream that he, because she even said, he showed me how he found us and then followed us home type of thing. So that is intentional. And maybe again, he just wanted to claim a space or whatever it is, but they kicked him out, <laughs> her and her husband and also her spirit team. So anyway, I thought that that was really interesting and appreciate you sharing. Okay. Here's another one from Michelle L. And her subject she had on the email was haunted houses. Oh my. My name is Michelle and I wanted to share with you ghost stories for your Halloween episode. At 15 years old, my parents decided to move to another city. They bought this beautiful English-style home that needed a little work to be done. My dad loved renovating and doing construction projects, so they were really excited when they found this house. I was the oldest, so I got to choose my bedroom, and of course, being 15, I chose the basement. My dad renovated my room and made it my own, and even changed a storage area to a full-size bathroom. It was just like my little place, just for me, and I loved it. It helped me feel excited about moving 45 minutes away from my entire life. One night, my brother was staying in the living room area in the basement, since my dad was changing his bedroom flooring. I went to bed, and just before falling asleep, I heard my door open and close and then whispering, almost like it was a bunch of people talking, but very low, and I couldn't make out the voices. I sat right up, and as I did, I heard my brother screaming for my parents that someone had come into my bedroom, and he heard them talking. 
This freaked me right out, so I jumped out of bed and ran upstairs with him. That night, we both were too scared to go back downstairs, so we slept on either ends of the couch in the living room. This was not the first encounter with this ghost. Another night, I was home alone with our little dog, Chico. All of a sudden, I heard Chico barking and growling at the wall. He wouldn't stop. I tried yelling. I tried picking him up, and he wouldn't take his eyes off the wall. I was so scared. His eyes looked like he was in fear. This went on for a few moments, then all of a sudden, nothing. He was acting like someone was there, and he never acted that way towards strangers. I think he saw the ghost since he was never in the basement because he couldn't go down the stairs with his little legs. Another night, I was sleeping and got woken up in the middle of the night to my end table drawer opening slowly all on its own. My dad told me he felt the presence in our home, and my neighbor told him that the old owner said things like this happened all the time. The presence of ghosts got so strong that I couldn't go to bed without a light or a TV on. I was always scared to fall asleep, and I felt like I was always being watched. I never threatened or felt in danger, but to this day I always wondered who that was and what did they want from me. Luckily, my parents ended up selling the house and we moved. Then, in my 20s, I bought my first home. It was a beautiful 160-year-old, 3,000-square-foot red brick house. It had a great history, so much so that ghost hunters have checked it out to see if they could hear or see anything. One night, I had sleep paralysis, my first one ever. I'm not sure if this was the ghost, but it was terrifying. I couldn't move any part of my body but my eyes. I started hyperventilating in hopes that my partner would wake me up, and he did. He pushed me out of it. I started to cry. I felt like I was being watched, like someone was there over me. I don't think I slept the rest of the night. Another night, we had a friend visit to see the house. He started acting a little strange and scared. And out of nowhere, he said, I need to leave. When we asked why he said that, he said, something that's staying here doesn't want me here. And he left. Never had we felt the need to leave. There, but there was something about our friend that the ghost did not like. I sometimes wonder how many ghosts lived in this house. The original owner is buried across the street. Another owner had a heart attack on the front lawn, and this house was also used for funerals back in the day. The living room was cut out for coffins to come in and out, so there's lots of activity going on there. Now I rent the house out, and my renters say they hear footsteps all the time, doors closing or objects moving. Ironically, when the ghost hunter show was there, they didn't catch the activity, but it's not every day that the ghosts visit. It's always interesting me to find that when ghosts stay in the house they build, they never reincarnate. Are they waiting for something? Do they want to protect the house? Are they trying to scare off people who live there? Thank you for listening to my stories. I love the podcast and cannot wait for your book. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Well, it's my impression that different places, especially when they've been around for a while or houses like that and brick, I think she mentioned that there's brick, it's going to hold more energy, stone, anything that has more quartz, not as much wood. I'm not just saying that because the material matters. It does to some extent. But also what we think of as hauntings is we normally gravitate to its ghosts. There can be certain sounds and or movements that a house will make that's what I refer to as imprints that could just be impressions that are left. And think about like if you have the same routine or habit every day, you get up, you go and you take these footsteps, you do these things. That can happen. But then there's also 
more of the intelligent types of souls or people that have crossed over that then want to kind of get our attention. So anyway, I say all that because there's different kind of levels. And, but in this case, I think that this house had actual souls and they were trying to get attention. And over time, just like we have best friends or we have people that we gravitate more towards, they're going to have... I don't want to call them favorites, but they get attached to us and they want to have, uh, you know, an aspect in our lives. And so in the case with her friend, it was probably maybe there wasn't anything wrong about him or that he was going to do anything other than he was either more sensitive or, you know, the ghost could have been jealous or there could have been something else that was happening where, you know, maybe he was also more of a medium and could sense the actual spirits around. And that was kind of the sense of, you know, that he was getting. So, that's just kind of what I was thinking. And ultimately, she obviously loves the home. She, you know, lived there and now she rents it out. So it's something that's a part of her life. But the house knows it. A house as a whole has a soul, but also with the people that live there. And when they cross over, they may not want to leave if they love it enough. Yeah. Well, in the first, now I say it's a red flag, but once Michelle found out that there, it was, you know, somebody died in the front lawn across the street, and then it was a funeral home. Like, oh my gosh, I would stay away from that part. I totally forgot. And yes, you're right. We glossed over that. Yes, there was so much transition that happened that absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, Michelle, I'm sure you said you, the house had a rich history and you probably knew about this. So, you know, there's probably part of you that feels comfortable and, you know, being involved with spirits like this. But to me, I would look at it like buying a house that's under high tension wires. And I'm like, why do that? You know, there's safer houses that you can get, you know, that will let you have a more peaceful life. <laughs> the tension wires. Yes, absolutely. Well, anyway, she doesn't sound too scared about it. So if anything, intrigued. So yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, then the first time a drawer opens by itself and I see that, I'm packing my bags. <laughs> oh, really? I would be fascinated. I'd be like, who are you? What do you want? <laughs> be careful what you wish for, Scott. You just might I know. Well, I'm not wishing for that. Just on record. <laughs> not wishing. All right. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. This email was sent in by Christine M. The subject, otherworldly orbs. It seems that my connection to the otherness is through orbs. It all started when I was a child. I would see these beautiful colored balls of light start to come out of my closet door at night. I remember I was able to rearrange them into familiar forms like an airplane, a train, an animal, etc. They would always make me smile, but if anyone came by, they would flood back into the closet. My mother was very religious, which meant there was no conversation to be had about these visits. Fast forward 30 years, and my next encounter was at a beautiful inn I worked in in the historic town of Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, Canada. I was talking on the phone with my son, who was about 10 at the time, telling him I would be home very shortly when I saw an orb the size of an orange sail past me on its way out, I guess. I remember losing my words as soon as it caught my eye. It was so beautiful, it glided up to a stained glass window and flew out. The next day, I mentioned to my colleague what I had seen. She suggested that we look at the video surveillance from that night. Lo and behold, it caught everything. This is a very old building, and in the front parlor, you can see the orb coming out of the seat of a beautiful Victorian chair. It glides up, makes a turn towards the wall, passes through the wall, turns again towards the front door, and this is where I saw it. I was in another room, and it pauses as if it saw me too, and then it floats out of the window into the night. 
This was just one story of what I witnessed at that inn and other historic homes, including mine. If you ever do an episode on orbs, I have a few true sightings to tell. Thank you, love you, and your show. So what do you think there? Well, I mean, what came to mind immediately to me was it seems like orbs are the most photographed, like, spiritual things, you know? You can see pictures of angels and clouds and those types of things, but orbs tend to be more photogenic, (laughs) I guess. And uh, I remember seeing one, a picture of Wayne Dyer, and he was giving a talk, and you could clearly see orbs, like four or five orbs, just kind of hanging around him. And it was kind of cool. And then other things as well. So, and then in this case, you know, the video cameras picked it up as well. So the orb, you know, operates within the constraints of photographic equipment and even the visual eye, you know, outside of other spiritual beings. That was just a technical viewpoint of orbs. Yeah, and I think it's orbs because if you think about the concentration of energy, you know, I'm not, again, being a scientist here, but in order for it to have some sort of manifestation and show up, that that's probably why it comes through in orb form. I do think that there are, when you take photos or video, that there are glares, there are other things that could probably happen with the trick of the eye. So not all orbs are necessarily quote unquote sightings, but in this instance, how cool it was for her to be able to see it through that evolution or that flow of the home. And then when she actually experienced it and showed up at the door, just shows that not only was it intelligent, but also that she had a very real experience. And especially again, going back to haunted homes or historic places, they hold a lot of energy. So that orb or ghost, in my opinion, was probably kind of floating through, just observing and going through its, you know, life, so to speak, day-to-day experience, and then came up and showed her and not intentionally probably showed her, but just had that manifestation, which allowed her to be able to see it. Yeah. And then she could do things. She could make it into a form of an airplane or a train or an animal. You know, that was kind of cool too. She had that impact on it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I do want to say before we move on kind of to the next story is angels will show up as orbs too. So not just ghosts and souls, but sometimes it's also more about light and sparkles. And I think that's because maybe their energy is bigger in an essence. And so when you're picking up on that visually, you're probably being able to, I don't know, see that through some sort of lens or filter, whereas ghosts or souls, you know, again, it's more concentrated in an area somehow. That's just my intuitive feeling on on the matter. Okay, next we have a story from David Kay. And Nicole, I'd really like your opinion on this because uh, it's out of my pay grade. And the subject is a seven foot shadow spirit with a top hat and a black dog. Hi, Nicole. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now, and I feel like you can help me. When I was younger, around the age of 14, my family moved into a house that was built in 1865. We were not shy to spirits in the house, but one spirit caused fear to me and my younger sister, who was around 11 at the time. This spirit was almost seven foot tall, all black, shadow, and wore a trench coat and top hat. There were a couple instances where he would corner us in a doorway, but never attacked us physically. The last experience I had with the hat man was when I was 16 at my older sister's graduation party. 
He walked outside while we were all hanging out in the tent with some of my sister's friends, showing himself to all six of us as he walked into the garage and then disappeared. Not a few minutes later, a large black dog ran through the yard with the same energy as his. To this day, it stumped me to figure out what this was. Some say it was demonic, some say they are angels. Either way, I've always feared seeing him again, but at the same time, it still makes me curious. Maybe you can give me some insight on what you think this was. Thanks so much. Yeah, so my first thing is, is that anything that's angelic or more of that celestial being is never going to cause us to be fearful. Or he said it never physically attacked him and his sister, but kind of cornering. That is not a good energy, number one. And also, I'm not an expert in this area. I have heard of this I want to say being more entity, but the hat man has been reported as being seen as this spooky, shadowy figure. And as David has described here as wearing a dark coat and a hat, you can literally search online hat man and so many stories and experiences will pop up. So it just seems to be this entity that is more specific and visits people or places. And as I was tuning in intuitively, it feels to me that it was specific to this land, not really the house as much, but the land as a whole. So not knowing where David was at the time, exactly the the home and the location, there was probably some sort of tie to the land itself as far as why, again, the hat man was there. And also the hat man, when you look up through the research, he often appears in bedrooms when people are falling asleep or first waking up. So David didn't get into that. He was saying it was, you know, more in the hallways. It seems more woken experiences. And then him and his sister's friend. But then also the black dog is this supernatural spectral and or demonic hellhound that originates from this English folklore that has also been seen not only throughout Europe, but also the Americas. So it's just important to remind people that, again, these stories are not meant to scare, but just to say, yes, that these energetic beings exist, that they're out there. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he probably, as long as well as his sister, had the sense or the ability to see these things. And so it was probably trying to get his attention, not in the sense of, hey, help me move on, but what I call them more as bullies, to bully us or to scare us so that we are not necessarily going more into that spiritual growth and journey. So that's what I was getting out of the situation. Yeah, I kind of thought it was a common theme, a common person. Yeah, you can search it online. And, you know, David, I know you said you were going to do your own research purposes, but take a look into it. The good thing is, is that it hasn't followed him. So it seems that it was solely attached to that. But I haven't necessarily heard about that dog also attached to the, to the hat man, which is why it also gives me the inclination that it was around that area specifically, and that they probably weren't, again, tied to one another necessarily. This listener story is from Caitlin M. Subject, seeing spooks and seeking advice. Hello, Nicole, I'm finally writing you. I feel like the end of each podcast episode I listen to, I'm just being nudged to do this. First of all, I feel like me and you are so aligned in different ways. Both born March 11th, both have Virgo sisters, and just a number of other things. But getting to my experience, I remember being a baby and not having a baby monologue inside my head, if that makes sense. I could understand everyone and would reply in my head, but of course, spoke like a baby aloud would do, as a baby does, lol. I've always been like a light for spirits. I remember being so young and everyone jokingly telling me the ghosts just follow me. Every house I lived in seemed to be haunted. 
Come to find out, it was just me. I remember being seven or eight and having this feeling I still can't describe. I would gaze at the mirror and literally feel like I was looking at someone else. I remember I would do it so much that I would get excited even thinking about it. I also would have this experience as a child when I would look at my hands. I'd just have this excitement throughout my whole body and I would think, wow, this is me. I'm actually a human right now. It was seriously such a comfortable yet exhilarating experience. Also as a child, I would have so many experiences with the supernatural. This one time, I was about 10 years old, and my mom had some friends over. I remember it getting very loud out in the kitchen. I came out of my room to tell them to please quiet down, and there was nobody there. It was dark and completely quiet. You could see my mom's bedroom through the kitchen. It was like a straight shot. My mom opened her bedroom door, and at that exact moment, every single drawer and cabinet opened and slammed shut. I remember screaming and running through just to get to my mom's room. I have so many other stories. Also, one more quick one. We went to Cherokee for vacation as a family. We all took Polaroid pictures with some of the indigenous people. Once we got the pictures back, we saw that there was a small boy directly next to me in the photo that was not there in real slash physical life. Now as an adult, I feel energy all the time. I know I have multiple gifts, but fear has always held me back. I feel like I'm now just ready to step into what I'm supposed to do in this life, just not sure the first steps to take. I know I can heal since I just jokingly one day said I was about to heal my sister's pet hamster when I was 15. As soon as I laid hands on it, I felt its energy and literally it's like my body just knew what to do. And not even 10 minutes later, the hamster was on its wheel. I've been journaling more and trying to connect with my guides to see what my next steps will be. If you have any advice for me, I would truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for your show. It feels like I have people that understand exactly how I'm feeling, especially since I'm from a small town in North Carolina. Everyone thinks I'm woo-woo or a little off my rocker. LOL. Anyway, I'm just rambling at this point, but thank you again for everything you do and can't wait to see where the universe takes me. Smiley face. All right. So before I give her advice, anything that's stuck out to you, Scott? Well, I think that this is the beginning of the shift, as we've been mentioning and others as well, seeing a shift towards the psychic and supernatural and spiritual, you know, aside from traditional organized religion. However, the, you know, the interest in spirituality is remains, remains strong and even increasing, especially psychic services, etc. So there's a lot of people looking for in figuring out these experiences and is it normal or is it scary or what to do exactly like this person here. So I think it's very much a current and growing topic that needs to be addressed in our society. Yeah. And for me, the when you look at all of the experiences that she said that she was having, and of course, we don't have all of them, but she did share quite a bit here is that just even recognizing and knowing what she had and experienced when she was younger and then pulling that through into her everyday life now is important to just acknowledge and give it that recognition. Also, what stood out to me is the fact that she lives in a place that people may quote unquote think of her as too woo-woo and everything else, but finding her community, even if it's not in person, but online would be something I absolutely would recommend she do. We know that obviously there's this podcast, but there's plenty of online groups that, you know, come together. Della Rose and I talked about wanting to eventually be able to create those uh, groups, whether it's virtually or in person. So TBD there as soon as I can pivot to that after we get through the book. So there's that. But also now she even mentioned 
about, you know, wanting to communicate or trying to communicate with your spirit team, to me, that's kind of the, the first thing is that if you're feeling alone or you're feeling that you need that support is finding intentions that you can sit down on a daily basis. Anyone that comes to me in session, the first things I usually do is say, okay, what do you think your intuitive abilities are? Here's what I'm coming and picking up energetically with. And for her, she definitely has mediumship abilities, but also she can sense energetic presences around her. She has probably that empath or empathic ability to pick up on things. So again, just knowing and trusting and remembering how that showed up for her when she was younger and what you feel comfortable doing moving forward are all ways to start to you know, take those next steps. And like you said, which is most people right now on earth are experiencing that a spiritual awakening and that growth. And so understanding too, with where you are and just being kind to yourself and patient with yourself on where you are in that process is also important to keep in mind. Yeah. And the one thing, you know, on a personal note, the thinking that she's looking at someone else in the mirror, I had like two two of those experiences and one recently was different was you know kind of uh taking a nap in the afternoon waking up a little bit and then I get this experience like I zoom back into my body it's almost like I was someplace else and kind of oh and very clear oh that's right I'm Scott I live in this house I have this family <laughs> And it kind of zoomed back in there. So is that similar to what she was explaining? Yeah, I think for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. So for you, the realization of you looking at yourself, well, not really looking at yourself, but having that moment or that realization is kind of what I would say is our soul's way of acknowledging that, yes, we have this human body and we're having these human experiences, but that we're more than that, that we're connected to the divine. And so again, it may look a little bit different. I remember not quite like she was, but looking at myself in the mirror thinking, yes, how amazing it was that I had this human body and this experience and really looking into my eyes thinking, wow, this is a reflection of, of who I am, but not really who I am. So it's kind of, I know what she's talking about. I know a lot of people are going to think I'm weird about this because I've asked people if they've had this experience. And I believe I've mentioned it before on the podcast, uh, at least definitely during someone else's podcast interview with me. But I remember walking down the street. I think I was probably four or five at the time. Not street, it was more of a sidewalk. And I looked down at my hands and arms and said, I am a human. I'm having this experience and no one else in the world is experiencing this exactly the way I can see it. I was five. So again, it's about us consciously being aware of who we are and what we're experiencing. And that is a part of that quote unquote awakening and, and what we go through. So for you, it's like you may have more of that. You That may have also happened when you were younger. You just don't remember. But it's almost as if your brain is clicking into place and making that acknowledgement. I also think it's fascinating because you know the psychology behind things. It typically happens when we're younger because we're forming our personalities and we're starting to create who we are in that reality and so to speak. But when it happens even later on in life, who's to say it's really psychology? It's probably more of that, again, spiritual awakening. So should a person pursue that? Like, should I pursue that feeling? Because I think I can, but it freaks me out. Yeah. Well, how is it? Why does it freak you out? I don't know. Suppose I go away and I don't come back. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not trying to discount it as far as dismissing it. It's just 
we're never going to go away because we always are who we are. I don't know if you were making a joke or being serious. Well, I mean, sort of, but it's, it's, it's an unusual feeling, you know, that you're initially like, what's up with this? Correct. Absolutely. I get that. But it, again, at the end of the day, you're never going to lose who you are because you are who you are. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. You're not going to lose yourself, Scott. Don't worry. <laughs> you have me on speed dial, just like I have you on speed dial. So just text me if you're scared. <laughs> One last spooky story from listener Sarah L. The subject, piano lessons from beyond the grave. When my child was about four, we had a very old piano. He and his friends would always gravitate towards it when they were having playdates. One day, one of the moms said, listen to that. It actually sounds like a real song. The other mom said, I noticed the same thing last time my girls were over. Your son must be teaching them what he is learning in his lessons. But my son was not taking piano lessons. So we started asking the kids how they came up with such a pretty little song. The oldest, who is six, told us simply, the piano lady. Then the other kids chimed in. They talked about a woman who was always there. And if you got close enough to the piano, she would entice them to play and show them which keys to press. Yeah, so this is another one of those stories that I like because it has multiple, you know, participants or, uh, you know, people involved with it. So it provides some validity to the story. You know, it's not just one person saying the piano lady helps me. It's like the piano lady is known, you know, to a bunch of kids there and helping them along. You know, so that's that I always like them, these types of stories because of that. This reminds me of a story that we would tell when I was a kid, whether it was true or not, which I fully feel like this one is a true story, but that we would tell to be like, ooh, spooky. But, or you would say around a campfire type of thing. And also you don't know, was the woman attached to the home or was the woman, i.e. that soul or ghost attached to the piano? Cause it started out with a very old piano. That's what the person who submitted this was. So that's neat. And obviously whomever owned that piano at the time, it was, you know, music and that sort of thing was very important to them. And the fact that kids tend to have more of that inner ability and knowing an intuition to connect, I find is so fascinating and cool to hear. And it's also a great example of, you know, when children are growing up, they have these experiences. And then depending on how their parents or friends or community receives that this information, you know, about the piano lady will determine how their uh, abilities will develop. You know, if they're laughed at in school, you know, oh, you believe in the piano lady, blah, blah. Then there's no more piano lady. He doesn't mention it, you know, it's gone. But if the parents, you know, go with it, as most clinicians would suggest, um, as long as it's not harmful, as long as it's positive, then their abilities and maybe abilities to, certainly their music abilities will improve, but maybe the abilities that there are other people out there, you know, helping them along the way that are past may, uh, may continue in their lives. Yes, exactly. And this was so short, which I like that it was short, but also we don't know. I mean, what did the other mom say <laughs> when they found out or did she just keep it to herself or, but again, to your point, everyone was, the other children at least were validating and it was kind of cool to hear and everything. I, I'm curious too, eventually, if she writes back in ever to say like, if she found out what the song was, you know, um, was it one of those, the basic ones that you would teach 
in order to learn the keys or whatever. Anyway, very, very neat. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast and submitting your spooky stories, but also your spiritual stories and angel stories up until this point. We are still accepting true stories for the holidays. You have plenty of time to submit, but please get them in sooner rather than later so Scott and I have time to prepare and share them. You can do so at the website at apsychicstory.com forward slash story dash submission, email contact at apsychicstory.com or leave a voicemail at 1-800-880-1881. If you get cut off at the 10-minute limit, just call back and pick up where you left off. If you're outside the U.S. and prefer audio but can't use the 1-800 number, feel free to record on your phone and email it in. As always, when sharing it with us, you're automatically giving a Psychic Story podcast permission to share it with the listeners. And also, I just want to say, if you're in the car, don't record and submit in the car because we technically can't use it. One, it's not safe, but also the audio is just not the best. So there are a couple instances where people have taken the time and we really appreciate it, but just make sure that you're doing that in a safe environment and that there's not a lot of background noise, if possible, if you're doing that from audio. Otherwise, happy spooky season, everyone. And now you know that the book is coming out on November 11th. Mark your calendars in those formats. It's going to be available in several formats. So we can't wait to hear what you think of it. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please sign up to be alerted when it is available. A reminder at lookingforangelsbook.com. So until next time, have a almost happy Halloween. Take care. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.